everyone welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the podcast that covers all horror movie franchises one movie in one episode at a time i am one of your hosts mike snoonian and this week i am joined on the podcast by brian kuiper returning to that co-host chair again brian how are we tonight i'm doing pretty good you know it's a Glad mellow friday it's been a long week yeah <laughs> you and I are both in listeners, as you can hear, like I've actually been sick for a few days, uh, but, you know, nothing stops the pod. I figure it's not going to get any better between now and when we're supposed to release the show. So we're going to soldier through. But Brian, I know like we're both in education. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling that like mid-March blah right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I find myself getting a little crankier, a little edgier oh, yeah. as the day goes by and yeah. as the week goes on. And I just try not to let it out on the kids, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 a, it's been a tough haul this year. Yeah. As a counselor, it's hard because like you the behaviors are super mm-hmm. cranking up at this point. Yeah. And we're yeah. at the point where like kids we're a hundred and something days in like, you know, better. Those are the exact words I've been using, too. It's like, we've been in school over 100 days. You know the routines. You know what you're supposed to do. Come on. (laughs) We just did a field trip to the high school with some eighth graders to look at the vocational program. So a bunch of us went with them. And... Like as we're walking in, like one of the kids, like let's loose an f bomb, you know. Oh and no! And I'm like, hey, how about we just? You know, I I curse like a sailor, so right. Like, how about we just like don't say the f word right now? I didn't do it, and I'm like, okay, if you didn't do it, how about you continue to not doing it? He's like, okay. So <laughs> trying to be as chill as possible. Nice, um, nicely done. It's getting trouble. Yeah, and that's my thing. If you didn't do it, how about you continue not to? Yeah. Just sometimes that works. So that's good. We are here tonight to talk about Seed of Chucky, uh, the fifth movie in the Child's Play series. Usually, I'll be honest, folks, usually we dig very deep. I know we're used to very long episodes, you know, 90 minutes or two hours. I don't know if I have that in me tonight, but I think we are going to cover all the salient points and have a really good time talking about this really amazing, uh, proud queer horror movie. Yeah. And I couldn't think of who better to discuss it than two <laughs> cisgendered heterosexual white males. Right. You know, you know I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's how it and we did out. we, we, we did tried call out far yeah. and wide um uh-huh. but it just was not meant to be uh this week in terms of like lining schedules up so here we are all right so really quick before we dive into like the background of the movie mm-hmm. brian when was the first time you saw this honestly um i saw that just 
I had never seen any of the Child's Play movies until late 2019. Um, so I finally saw the first one, uh, you know, so what, three years ago. And um, I really liked the first one and the second mm-hmm. one especially. Um, and then I ended up pitching a, an idea for one of my first articles that I did uh, for dread central back in the day. And, uh, and it required just watching the whole series. And so I, that's so early 2020 sometime is when I watched this movie for the first time. Um, What was it that made you want to pitch an idea on the series as a whole? If it was one that's not typically in your wheelhouse, I'm always curious about well, what I, I was really struck by, uh, there's a, in the first movie, I was struck by sort of this theme of, um, and I think I maybe watched the first three to see this thread go through. There's sort of an undercurrent of dealing with child abuse in, in the first three films. Um, and it comes into this one too, uh, I think pretty clearly with, um, the character of Glenn Glinda, especially when he's just, you know, shit face at the beginning yep. with the ventriloquist and stuff. Um, but I, I was just fascinated by that idea. I, and so I dug into it um, to, and frankly, I was like, I, I want to pitch a bunch of ideas and this is an idea. Here you go. And so this is one that happened to get accepted. So, <laughs> and I actually think that article turned out okay for, for being one of my early efforts and uh, probably being a little bit outside of my realm of knowledge, to be honest. Oh, send it over to me so we can link it in the show notes. For oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I can, Let's I can do that. Let's get you some more clicks. All right. Sure. On a sure. three year old article. We always love that. Okay. Um, I can do that. What was your impression, especially when you're mainlining the series and the first three films have a markedly different tone from Bride and especially Seed of Chucky, where, you know, these two movies, the last two movies we've covered, Mm -hmm. definitely lean into the comedy and camp aspect of things. Well, okay, so um, two is my favorite. Two just Mm -hmm. really works for me. That's the one to me that hits the balance just right. It has enough humor to really work and it's got and it's scary still. Um, And then three just kind of falls off a little bit. And, but it's sort of revitalized with Bride. Um, yep. And, you know, I it's probably a little bit farther into the comedy side of things than I than is my favorite. That's it's it's you know, it's I, I like it a lot, um, but I don't revisit the two, you know, broad comedies of the series all sure. that often. Um, and and this one I felt. um I felt like uh, Mancini was trying to sort of do some of that Ronnie Yu uh, horror comedy stuff with this one and maybe trying too hard to emulate that and continue that mm-hmm. personally. Um, but I really dug what he did later with with the Netflix films, the, sure. the Cult and Curse. I liked that dark tone that he went to. So I guess, I don't know. I I, I I got to say, though, on this rewatch, uh, watching it on its own and not sort of in the in, you know, the bulk of it within, you know, days of each other, 
Um, this one went up quite a bit in my yeah. viewing. I I actually didn't really care for it the first time, but this time I was like, yeah, I get. I really like what what they're at least trying to do with yeah. it, and I think it's it's uh, works pretty well. I enjoyed it a lot more. I I have to say, like the watch I did for the show was the first time that I've watched it since becoming like a mental health counselor. Oh, uh, so just kind of like I always end up watching movies a little bit through that lens, even when I'm trying to turn my brain off a bit. And obviously when we're covering it for the show, like you're looking at from a bunch of different angles and mm-hmm. this time around, like watching it for, I mean, obviously like the through line of like gender dysmorphia and body mm-hmm. dysmorphia, uh, is pretty strong in this one, but Definitely. also like, you know, LGBT and trans acceptance. And I know mm-hmm. for me, just being someone that works with a lot of LGBT students at the school and also, you know, the LGBT community uh, in my counseling practice, like how inclusive this movie is. Um, and it's a kind of a through line throughout the child's play series i think one thing that don mancini has done a remarkable job of throughout all of the movies as well as chucky the tv show is Mm -hmm. he does like a very solid job of depicting underrepresented communities in his movies yeah in the first few child's plays like you have a really nice look at like the inner lives of children Mm mm-hmm uh, in the way that like young Andy is portrayed in his in the movies, um, I think it rings true to a lot of childhood experiences, you know. And I think um, Karen as like a single mom as well. Um, I think it does like, a really good job of portraying a lot of the struggles as a single mom, despite having the world's greatest apartment. I, I know uh, in the first movie, <laughs> it's like, pretty I incredible. Love that. Yeah. Had to be rent controlled back in the eighties, but then you get you know when you get into uh, Bride of Chucky, you get solid LGBT characters. You get a really mm-hmm. solid queer character that's not played as a joke, as a punchline that is accepted for who he is. You get into Seed of Chucky and you have like trans characters that are not played for a punchline, uh, that have like, a really moving arc. And that carries through into like Cult and Curse of Chucky, uh, the two Netflix movies where you're having like very good representations of the disabled community as well. That's Um, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh Uh-huh. And I think one of the strengths of the series in having uh, David Kirshner and Don Mancini have their hands in every single movie, except for the reboot and remake is you get like one voice that gets to explore different things. Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to having a new team coming in going, well, this didn't work. We're going to throw everything out and we're going to put our own stamp on it. You have like right. building blocks from one movie to the next movie to the next movie. Absolutely. And, you know, even Don Mancini has admit you know, has said, you know, there are things I was learning how to do still yeah. when I made Seed of Chucky, but I still love that movie. And I think I think this movie has grown in estimation. Um, mm-hmm. the most of any of the child's play movies. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's when it opened, it was kind of like, and it was not particularly accepted overall. Yeah. Uh, as I recall, I didn't I think obviously see it at the time, but um, Ebert gave it like two stars, which is surprising for Ebert. That's high I mean, that's for, a little for high Ebert. For him. Yeah. 
But he was like, there's two movies in here, a funny one and a wretched one. If you're like, ooh, that's seething. Um, Well, I think we'll talk about maybe some reasons why it's gone up in estimation as it goes on. And maybe what held it back at the time. Because it feels a lot like an outlier for the time period this movie came out in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the meta commentary, I think, was maybe running its course by the time we got to Seed of Chucky. So maybe Mm -hmm. that was uh, one of the reasons for it, because we were in much tougher territory. Different territory at this point. Yeah. Yeah, so... So a little bit of background, and we'll talk about that. Let's start right there. You know, horror in 2004 is in a much different place than it was in 1998. And Mancini goes to work on uh, this movie, originally titling it Son of Chucky, right after Bride of Chucky comes out. Um, But it takes a long time for this to hit. Universal actually passes on it. Uh, and they had distributed all the child's play aside from the first movie to this point saying like this script is way too gay for us. They had two notes. A, it was too gay and B, too much Jennifer Tilly in the movie, which I would argue is that there possible? is absolutely <laughs> no such thing. Right. There's too much Jennifer Tilly in any movie. Right. And I will keep it clean tonight. So I don't want to blow out my voice doing wolf whistles for how much. Um, but what what you're also seeing, like when I think of 0304 when it comes to horror movies, I'm thinking of movies like The Splat Pack. You have yep. Rob Zombie making an imprint with House of a Thousand Corpses, and a couple years after this, A Devil's Reject mm-hmm. rejects. You have Cabin Fever in Eli Roth. Um, making a huge splash. You have like movies like Wolf Creek, Saw, uh, Hostel is only a couple years away. But you're the also Texas seeing Chainsaw like, remake and really brutal versions of yeah. of those stories. Yeah, that's the other thing. In 03, yeah. you have like the first salvo in what one of the things the decade in horror is going to be most known for are all of these remakes of existing properties. Yeah, so. You have this like existing franchise and child's play reinventing itself a little bit, but sticking to the same story. But you you have against that a year earlier, you have like Michael Bay and um, Marcus Nispel's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which takes all the subtlety of, you know, all the suggestion, I should say, because there's nothing subtle about Toby yeah, Hooper's Toby movie. Hooper movie yeah. mm-hmm. But there's a lot of suggestion in that movie. And it says, we're going to remove all of that. And here it is. Like, here are two hours of basically watching, like, meat get hit with a stick over and over <laughs> again until everything comes out in gushy bits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... So. I remember again, seeing that one for the first time and just, you know, being a fan of the original um, and, you know, having a visceral reaction to it yeah. still. But then seeing that remake and just going, thinking it was too much for me at the time, yeah. just because of how splattery and gory and just yeah. in your face uh, it is in that sense. I'm really looking forward to talking about the remake when we get to Texas Chainsaw Massacre over the summer. Cause I didn't like the remake when it came out. And I think I bought like the 
DVD, like the special edition DVD, because it was like four dollars used. And I'm like, why sure. not? I mean, yeah. And then yeah. like watching a lot, watching it again, and a lot of the bonus features. And I'll say that it's a movie that has gone up in my estimation every time I've rewatched it. Okay. And I would say that the original Texas Chainsaw and the remake are two of the few movies that I can say without a doubt are scarier and more unnerving on rewatches. They're actually right. to be scarier when you know what's going to happen uh-huh. because you just feel so helpless to stop what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I've, I know we're not talking about Texas chainsaw, no. but um, I, uh, I still haven't gotten to the point where I really like the remake, to be honest. Sure. I, I've seen it twice, but it's been a long time and it's probably yeah. due for me to, revisit that one too i don't know if i like it but i respect what it was going for a lot more sure yeah okay yeah so but you know against this backdrop like don mancini kind of like sees the lay of the land and I, i found this quote in an article in movie web where he talks about the tone of the film uh he says the movie is certainly not the grudge or saw it's a very different animal this is the climate into which we are opening the success of those movies. I just think people want different things from different movies. This is a movie that's more in the tradition of something like Evil Dead 2 or Dead Alive. Not mm-hmm. that I'm comparing myself to those masters. I'm just saying that's the sort of movie we wanted to make. And you see that here. You oh, see yeah, making definitely. a very mm-hmm. traditional movie. And you see a movie, and we'll talk more about it, I think when we talk about the camp factor of this movie. Mm-hmm. But you see him wanting to return to, I would say, like the relative safety of the late 90s. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling to that with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, now we're in a much different place, you know, not only as a country, but like also the horror movies of that time definitely reflect what was going on in the United States at that time. So, yeah, just like they're going to reflect what we're going through right now. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the movie is shot in Romania to save on cost. Mancini not only writes the movie, but he steps into the director's chair as well. A lot of the movie is done on sound stages. He wanted to evoke the kind of feeling that like Universal Horror did. And you see little touches and sure. little homages to that throughout this movie here. Mm-hmm. Um, he was inspired by Ed, Wood, Ed Wood's film on gender dysmorphia, Glenn or. Glenda in Glenda, which you see uh, obviously through the Glenn Glenda character. But again, mm-hmm. the note from Universal is this movie is way too gay for us. Uh, now it would be embraced. I mean, now oh, I mean, yeah. we're in a much better place. It would be like, you know, this movie is the kind of queer horror that we need. Um, mm-hmm. But Universal was not ready for it at the time. Uh, and Rook Pictures uh, stepped in to distribute the movie. So. We open up on a pretty cool scene. We get like a uh, first person point of view and we see it's a doll. Like a little girl opens up her birthday gift and yeah. out of the box comes what must be a really ugly doll. Like that's what we assume based on the parents and the girl's reaction to it. Um, 
and you must be, oh, this must be Chucky, but it's not. We right. learn through the scene. We get two really neat little homages to Psycho, Psycho and Hitchcock definitely. here uh-huh, uh-huh. with the shower scene. And you get the uh-huh. only nudity in all of the Child's Play series here uh, with the shower scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also get uh, a nice uh, homage to Arbogast's death as well, uh, which yeah, that's... I don't think gets enough love when we yeah. talk about Psycho. Yeah, that's you know, and the and the thing is, I I caught the shower scene obviously death right away, but I hadn't really. I was like, oh, I know that too, and, and I was like, oh, duh, it's Arvagast, of course, you know, <laughs> just that that feeling of the floor coming up to the person who's dying. I love that uh, that shot. It's great. I mean, it's a really wonderful mm-hmm. little touch. But then you see that it is not Chucky that is, and oh, and you don't get to murder the little girl because like. Still that third rail, like despite (laughs) this, you know, all the child's play movies, like focusing on dolls and children, like not a lot of kids die in this series. Damn it. They should. (laughs) Oh, I was laughing hysterically at the uh, child's play two episode. (laughs) Some of the things you, uh, you said about that during that episode really, uh, I stand by it. It was good. (laughs) Uh, I stand by it all. Um, but you have here like the doll wets itself and you realize it's a right. dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Brian, you were talking about child abuse that runs through a, a thread that runs through the series. And like, that is a sign of like kids that have been abused often will wet themselves or they'll wet yeah. their bed. Like that's one of the signs like to look for um, in terms of like whether or not a child has actually been abused. But sure. yeah. in this case, Glenda is a, uh, ventriloquist dummy for a very late nineties looking kind of um, Chris Angel ventriloquist type, you know, yeah. kind of glam uh-huh. metal uh-huh. dude. But Glenn Glenda makes his or their escape um, to find their parents, Chucky and Tiffany. And what did you think of the introduction of uh, Chucky and Tiffany in this movie is like being part of like movie characters now, like actually making. A yeah. Movie. You know, I mean, even from the very, be- I've always been kind of enjoyed the, the meta thing when it's done in a entertaining kind of funny way like that. And um, so, you know, a movie like that I was really into was, and still am. I like a lot is like behind the mask, you know, rise of Leslie Vernon. So that kind of meta-ness I really like. And when, when a movie is um, smartly winks like that, I kind of, I have a good time with it. So I think, I think it's a fun introduction and, you know, having it be a Christmas thing is (laughs) brings in, you know, that sort of fun aspect of horror movies that, you know, I mean, we love holiday horror, you know, (laughs) who doesn't? I, I was surprised I didn't go with like Chucky in space. That would have been uh, pretty entertaining too. I mean, that's sort of the next logical step, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I was very, very shocked we didn't go there. And you know, the movie has made like the series has made winks to other horror movie franchises, like in Bride of Chucky. You see the police locker with like Jason's mask and yeah. Freddy's glove and the puppet master figurines, and you know, John Ritter dies in the sort of Hellraiser yep. style thing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so thing. it's not afraid to I'm gonna like tip the cap and wink at other horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I was wondering because you are someone who's written pretty extensively 
about Wes Craven. Yes. You've watched, you know, like are pretty well versed in his movies. To me, this feels like Mancini's new nightmare. In that yeah. mm-hmm. even down to the fact that you have like a one of the deaths in the movie is like a um uh special effects artist that is like done in by his own creations. Like what do you yeah. think of this movie kind of like commenting on horror movies of its time or trying to emulate Craven in some ways? Well, I mean, honestly, if you're going to steal, steal from the best, right? Uh, and, you know, and it's something, honestly, until you brought it up, I hadn't really thought about that, that oh, idea. That, on the spot. That it's a, yeah, that it's a homage in some way to New Nightmare. But as you say it, it's like, oh, of course it is. Uh, there's, I think, you know, I, I've always admired about Mancini when you listen to him he likes watching movies he likes watching a lot of a lot of horror movies and stuff so he was no doubt familiar with all that and some of those things are just I'm sure percolating through his brain when he went to create this um and so yeah I I think uh, the the Wes Craven angle is a great way to look at it and something I hadn't thought of but um but yeah I think also the fact that Scream you know, if he's sort of looking at this late nineties comfort zone that you were talking about, that is so, um, scream heavy at that time. So I could definitely see, um, Mancini latching onto those things for sure, because yeah, why not? <laughs> this movie definitely has that late nineties vibe to it. Like right down to having Redman, uh, be like trying to become a director that is trying to do yeah. like the uh, tale of the Virgin Mary. And, you know, I think they even reference like passion of the Christ, like yeah. a lot of the references that are made in this movie, like definitely date it and give it a very specific timestamp. Mm-hmm. Apparently uh, the part of Redmond, it was actually written for Quentin Tarantino. Oh, was it really? Uh, yeah. They really <laughs> wanted Tarantino to appear in this movie as himself. Yeah. Um, which would have been like a much different feel. Um, and I don't know if it came down to like, you know, Jennifer Tilly, maybe not having sexy feet. Um, although <laughs> I'm sure they're lovely. Um, but Tarantino passed. And, you know, of course you think, well, if we couldn't get Tarantino, who do we go to? Oh, hip hop artist, uh, Redman. That's Redman. the next best yeah, thing. A, yeah. Uh, but Hey, a very odd choice. Well, what might've been interesting, uh, you know, I love the role that John Waters plays in this, but mm-hmm. I mean, someone like that, who is just sort of more game for this sort of thing, you mm-hmm. know, uh, would have been, would have been fun to do, you know, whether it's him or someone else. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we'll definitely, we'll talk about waters like shortly. I definitely want to talk about that when we talk about the camp of this movie. But one thing I want to, I guess I want to dive into, and I think like the meat of this movie is, you know, when Glenn Glenda finally is reunited with Chucky and Tiffany, Mm -hmm. um, it's really touching, but also, um, it's really like I've read some articles and I'll quote from it in a shortly here about how it really mirrors the coming out experience for a lot of, of LGBT uh, youths. Um, it's, you know, when we first meet Glenn, uh, not in the dream world, like you see him, he's like trapped in a cage. And I think that's a very easy metaphor to make yeah. for a person that is like not allowed to be themselves. It is, feels that they have to be in hiding or that they're trapped in some way because they cannot 
express their true identity. Um, and when Chucky and Tiffany first meet Glenn Glenda, um, they immediately um, debate whether Glenn Glenda, whether they're a boy or a girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And they do it in front of him without even acknowledging that Glenn Glenda's there. Like there, they're having yeah. this whole conversation. Um, so I found this article while researching this is on certified forgotten uh, by trans writer, Ren Crane, mm-hmm. um, who wrote the article, how seed of Chucky explores non-binary identities. And what she writes in her article uh, is how it mirrors the experience of a lot of like trans youths and this obsession that persons have over their genitals. Um, and she writes, instead of asking Glenn Glenda how they feel, Chucky and Tiffany bicker about gender between themselves. This leads to a moment many people probably find funny, but it's a moment that's incredibly hard for me to watch. They pull down Glenn Glenda's trousers to inspect their genitals. In my experience, cis people have always had an obsession with them, likely because they they dangerously equate sex with gender. Many people feel they have a right to this information. I've found that this will often lead to complete strangers to cross boundaries. And yeah. found that really telling. I mean, it's yeah. definitely played for a little bit of laughs here mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, but when you think about where we are right now as a country, and in the past few weeks, we've seen states like Texas engage in some really horrific lawmaking where they're mm-hmm. making um, any sort of gender conforming care like illegal and also making it so uh, that you have to report persons if they're providing it. Uh, you have like child yeah. protective services going after families and parents for just affirming the gender that their child feel or gender the child feels that they belong to. You're seeing that in Idaho now as well. And it's going a step further where they're trying to make it illegal to actually leave and move the state. Uh, if you feel like, Hey, these, uh, yeah, it's, and they're making wow. it a, a felony that is like up to life in prison. Like it's absolutely bananas when you look into some of these laws that they're trying to enact right now in Idaho, where it would be illegal to uh, offer gender affirming care to like a trans person or a trans child. Uh, and parents can be prosecuted uh, one of the stipulations that if you move to a different state where there's care that can be offered uh, which i don't know how you can do that how like, would yeah uh, i mean crossing state it, lines like that i mean it, how would that be I, and again like that's not sense. written into law yet but it's what yeah. they're trying to pass i mm-hmm. don't understand how one would be able to do that and how and you say like oh well that will get struck down by a court immediately but who knows i mean yeah we have a 6-3 <laughs> majority of the Supreme Court that doesn't yeah. seem to follow any sort of legal precedent. They kind of go by their gut. Um, and we're seeing like the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that are really overturning decades of precedent in mm-hmm. order to reshape the country in a much more conservative manner. And what we're seeing are these just like really awful uh, laws ta- targeted at trans children and you're seeing them demonized uh, in a way that feels like really heartbreaking and horrific 
yeah, it's uh, seeing that it's just been, it's been, I, I was like, this isn't the kind of thing that <laughs> makes me go, uh, I don't know, how do I word this? Um, this doesn't seem very American. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, is that if for, for lack of a better way of putting it, I guess, um, it just, I've, I've just kind of found it all very shocking, but, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and we're seeing this kind of done in this kind of lighthearted horror comedy, like slasher movie, right? you know, Mm -hmm. decades before. Uh, and you see like the pathos of Glenn Glenda goes, goes, or you see at one point as they're debating, um, he, he, they finally have like a freak out and they're like, look, you're tearing me apart. You're telling, tearing me apart. Yeah. Which, you know, you know, rebel without a cause. Yeah. Or or I was, I automatically go to the room. You're right. I didn't even think about Lisa, you're tearing me apart. Um, but you're right, Rebel without a cause, but you're, you're tearing me apart. What about what I want? Doesn't yeah. what I want mean anything at all? I think I want to be a boy, but being a girl would be nice too. Not sure, but sometimes I feel like a boy. Sometimes I feel like a girl. Can I be both? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's handled, yeah. you know, and you have this like killer doll um, being handled in such a way. And it's really warm. And like, I really love the way that it's that Glenn Glender is depicted in this movie. Yeah, me too. I, you know, it's um, I, I I love that you read other insights because you know, I mean, like I said, I I don't know what all I can add to the conversation on mm-hmm. that on these subjects, but um, I think the way it is depicted is you know very comes across as very empathetic. Ultimately, yeah. you, um, I mean, it feels like. Tiffany and Chucky are both kind of the villains here. And, you know, you empathies kind of go, your go toward Glenn Glenda so Mm -hmm. much. I mean, throughout the course of the film, by the end, you're like, yeah, this is, (laughs) this is the character that we like most. Right. Here, here's what I love is you get Chucky's reaction and Chucky's reaction is to be like the aggrieved parent who is like, why isn't anyone considering my feelings right now when mm-hmm. he in the same time is like kind of not considering what anybody else feels. And I love when Glenn Glenda asks like, why do you kill people, dad? And he's like, well, it's kind of stress relief. You know, it's something we do as a hobby, you know? And yeah. You see him like wanting to have a son so bad uh, and trying to like engage in like typical male activities like, all right, he's teaching his kid how to drive, you know, like having uh, Glenn Glenda like work the brakes and the gas. And Mm -hmm. when you have uh, John Waters character, Pete Peters, like he's so proud of like Glenn Glenda when he thinks that. He has purposely thrown the sulfuric acid on him right. to get that yeah. really nasty death. And they take a picture like that picture to me is like a proud papa and their son posed in front of like this giant bass trout that they caught. You know, like oh, <laughs> exactly one in the lake. You know, yeah. typical like fishing buddy, daddy and and son type of activity. Well, and I really do like you know the gallows humor of Chucky. Uh, which has always kind of been there, you know, from the very beginning. And um, by this point, Mancini just knows that voice so perfectly, uh, you know. So when he's writing these things, um, the way that Chucky reacts to things is just like 
seems to come so natural yeah. to the to the role and to the to the movies at, by this point. It's great. Mm-hmm. So. And I love Tiffany's reaction too, where she's like, "Well." Maybe we shouldn't kill anymore. That's it. We're going cold turkey. You know, and Tiffany is like a badass killer of her own right. You know, it's kind of like, and we're both parents. Like, Brian, is there anything that you had to give up as a dad? Anything, any habit or any indulgence you had that you had to like, well, I'm a parent now. I can no longer engage in this frivolous behavior. I am Oh, man, I've lived such a, I'm such a boring person. I, I've always yeah. been one of those people. So I don't know if I really had much I had to give up or anything, but, uh, you know, trying to be a little less lazy, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you can't trying sit to set a good example. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can't know. think of any like major vice that I had to yeah. give up. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I never smoked or drank nope. or anything like yeah, that. I very rarely drank. Ran around with sex workers or anything like that. <laughs> oh, I had to do a little bit less of that. I had to cut it back about 20%. <laughs> You know, um, I have to cut that back just a wee bit. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think like nothing like, you know, and I was never like a serial killer, never murderous, no. you know, so those, you know, impulses went away. But I love how, you know, like Tiffany uh, can't quite give it up and she has to, you know, she gets really pissed off at Redmond for, you know, disrespecting Jennifer Tilly and disrespecting. Right. Uh, and you get like a pretty cool death, like a yeah, you know, like gutted right through the groin, it's, and then you get like these warm intestines plopping out, steaming. Yes, the, the steam is is a real nice touch there. <laughs> I mean, because this is a real. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Bride of Chucky, but um, compared to like the first two, which I've seen the most, um, this is really bloody, really gory. I mean, the kills are, you know. Again, you know, intestines pulling out. I think of Last House on the Left. I think of Scream. Um, so, yeah. And then the acid death. I mean, come on. John Waters' acid death. I love death the acid death. So it's so good. It's so, so really, you get some great kills. I think there's mm-hmm. the assistance death. I could be wrong, but I think that the way the body hit, it gave me big Suspiria vibes. It gave me like really big argento vibes like the way that body sure. topples over and then mm-hmm. hits the ground like you see mancini definitely pulling out a bunch of different tricks and a bunch of different references yeah. that aren't so on the nose that it pulls you out but you're like ah game's got to respect game right there yeah Some really good ones right there. well i mean he's making like like at the beginning you know the clear homage to the shower scene but it's done differently you know she's sort of freaks out, wraps herself in the shower curtain and knocks her head on the ground more than anything else, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a interesting sort of twist on sort of these iconic moments, which yeah. is, is really clever and well done. Yeah. I didn't know how you could top like hot puppet sex. Like you get, <laughs> you get this like tender yet visceral lovemaking between Chucky and, and Tiffany and I'm like, how do you top that? And Seed of Chucky does it in a perverse and hysterical way in that you get like full on puppet jacking off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's and it is like I think you even see his puppet wang, if I remember correctly, you get 
maybe I'm just maybe yeah. I know you get to maybe see, I'm just you know, doing wishful thinking. I don't know. I know you, you see, uh, you see Tiffany's breast. You see Tiffany's breast, and you see get a little bit of that, and you get some, you know, uh, Chucky. You definitely jizz. get semen. You definitely yeah. get <laughs> puppet jizz, which looks yeah. remarkably like human jizz. It does. It um, does. It really does. I thought you know it would look more like stuffing or something, but uh, you know. Given that some thought, apparently. Um, well, I mean, even you, at the very beginning, you know, basically, <laughs> I mean, the opening credits, you know, you literally see the the sperm mm-hmm. going down the canal. It's like, yep. oh, they're they're remaking the opening of Look Who's Talking, you know, here, yep. you know, so it's <laughs> so you get you know, like your eighth grade science class video, How a Baby is Made. Yeah. But I love what you get with this is like John Waters, like snapping pictures yep. uh, outside, like the purveyor of filth that Waters is, oh, who's like getting off on, and he's like, oh my goodness, like Jennifer Tilly is in the little people. And you're just like, see him. But even he's like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Do love it. You know, I mean, John Waters is just sort of like the perfect cameo for mm-hmm. this movie. You know, let's talk about that. Let's talk about. You know, I I will admit I love the idea of John Waters, and I love a world that John Waters exists in. Yeah, more than maybe I love his work. I have not. I've only seen super a few familiar with a lot yeah. of his work. So, what can you speak to on it? Well, I mean, I guess for me, what I mean by that is, you know, is sort of the John Waters persona, you know, the John Waters who um, really gets the jokes. You know, he really he understands what movie he's in and he knows how to play this thing because he's he just gets it. Um, So, I mean, I've seen a few of his movies. I, I can't say I really like them very much i mean they're you know pink flamingos is a lot to take i don't know if you've seen that movie but i uh, that movie is a lot um and i saw cecil be demented years ago and uh thought you know hey i I like things about that movie um but that's kind of it which is surprising i mean i haven't seen hairspray i've seen the stage version of 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 hairspray but i've never seen his film um or some of those other serial mom crybaby um i haven't seen i've them. seen like serial mom and pink flamingos and pink flamingos is a lot uh you know when you have like early john waters his whole idea was to like confront suburban and mainstream and mm-hmm. maybe like liberal and a fed audiences and like let's shock them yeah. Like, you know, in a culture where nothing is out of bounds anymore, I want to be able to shock you. I want to be able to disgust you. I want you yeah. to feel repulsed by my art. And that was very much his thing. And John Waters is someone that, you know, very much like embraced like the freaks and the weirdos and yes. alternative culture mm-hmm. such as it was. And he did it in a very transgress- transgressive, but also a very authentic way. And yeah. I think like right now, like, you know, in this in this movie, by 2004, you know, John Waters has appeared on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. You know, John and, Waters. And that was just, where I really knew him from was his yeah. appearance on The Simpsons, to be yeah. honest. You know, John Waters is someone who 
um, had been embraced by the culture for his role in kind of creating alternative culture. So mm-hmm. but you you have him now like settled into a role as kind of a statesman for the freaks and the weirdos. Like he yeah. is going to be the voice you turn to like when you want to talk about this kind of like why do people want to be repulsed or shocked or horrified? And you want to have someone that can speak to that with a high level of intellect but also like charm and class and you know like this really weird like twinkle as well like that's why you get john waters so having him in here especially as a paparazzi during a time where like reality tv is taking off and you have all these like tmz is taking off you have Mm -hmm. you know it's a very fun wink and a nod uh to have him in here for this yeah and you know i i think you know also his just embrace of sort of um of exploitation cinema too, you know, so, and saying that, you know, a movie like Christmas evil is my favorite Christmas movie, which I love that movie, but um, just saying that, you know, that is what people should be embracing. You know, there should be, these movies should be available to people. You know, it's, it's sort of like, I think of John Waters as sort of like the spokesperson for something like the vinegar syndrome catalog or something like that. You know, that's his kind of stuff. And um, so for him to be in a movie that uh, sort of celebrates that sort of camp and um, subversive and, (coughs) excuse me, and um, you know, to be in, in, this brand of a horror movie that uh, is, you know, <laughs> a little bit the winky and nod kind of thing, you know, is just, it fits him to a T to me. And I think it kind of elevates the movie a little bit for me too, to be honest, uh, for it, the bit he's in. As much as I like the whole movie as a whole, there's there's a weird elevation that even though he's sort of known for bad taste uh, yeah. that he brings to it, you know. Well, I think because like the kind of bad taste that we were getting in 2003, 2004 mm-hmm. um, was devoid of a lot of humor. Yeah, it was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're getting uh-huh. like extreme French horror. You know, like high tension or uh, would have been out by this point. I think it was just making its way to the States at this point. And that's a movie that's a tough watch. You're getting movies like, you know, I think the original Saw is like a really good thriller. Yeah. And what Saw would become afterwards, like doesn't necessarily represent the movie that like James Wan and Lee uh, Wan wrote. Right. Uh, it became a much more violent series. Um, yeah. You're, you're getting like the bad taste and the over-the-top shock, but you're not getting any of the humor to mm-hmm. go with it too. And I think part of the reason why this movie might not have been embraced, but why I think it deserves a rewatch now is it feels so out of place for its time. Yeah, it feels it like something where, you know, almost like it's almost like a rallying cry saying like, look, like there is a place for this kind of fun horror. And it is only one year removed from Freddy versus Jason, which is a massive hit. Um, but I think that, that, that is an point. outlier in horror mm-hmm. as well. It like really Freddy is. versus Jason, that was going to be a success no matter when it came out because people were just clamoring for uh, those two to get together. This feels very much like a rallying cry of saying like, look, there is a place for campy, 
seedy uh, horror movies that don't necessarily have to rely on like ripping people apart and rending the flesh uh, in the way that feels utterly hopeless and devoid of any sort of humanity whatsoever. And audiences weren't buying it at that time. Like they were very, I mean, again, you're very much in a time period where it felt very bleak. Um, Yeah. I mean, there was war and there was, you know, post nine 11 talking. I mean, there's a reason why quote unquote torture porn was the thing is because we were talking about torture, you know? Um, So it, it makes sense that, the audience was in a different place than this movie was. So, yeah. So I do think that that's why this movie deserves to be like reevaluated now in 2022. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think bride of Chucky is considered the high point in the series for most. It's either yeah. that or child's play too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like this goes neck and neck with like bride of Chucky. I think those, these two should be watched kind of like, back to back with one another which they're surprised kind of a, me yeah they're kind of a pair watch. within the within the whole series yeah you can kind of split it all into chunks you know you have your original three you've got bride and seed and then you've got curse and cult and i, I haven't seen the series yet so uh, i don't know if that has sort of got some of the vibe of curse and cult or if it is sort of you know coming back a little bit towards I would the humor. say it ties everything together okay. it, it's definitely not played for laughs per se there is some humor in it um, it threads all of the movies into the series I have one more episode to go um, and it's quite mm-hmm. enjoyable um, yeah what I will say like one of the reasons I think this movie deserves to be reevaluated and we talked about the queerness of the movie but the mm-hmm. way the characters are able to move past their dysmorphia and not let it be their defining characteristic so we see in glenn glenda you see obviously gender dysmorphia and i am not going to pretend to be an expert on gender dysmorphia i know in my role as a counselor particularly with school kids i've worked with a number of transgender children and I will say that like my I see my role is is embracing and accepting them for who they are at that moment. Meaning like when exactly. I've had like eighth grade students come to me out to me as trans, you know, and I try to ask like every student, like when I work with them for the first time, like what are your pronouns? And I don't remember a hundred percent. I can be poor at that. I do remember with all my counseling clients outside of school for some reason. But when a student has come out to me as trans, you know, I'm not there to say like, are you sure? Or, you know, make them feel unaccepted and, and, and to say like, that's great. That's where you are today. Like if this is who you are, let me know how you can be embraced, how you can be accepted within the school. What can we do to make sure you can be your authentic self and to mm-hmm. make sure that like people accept you and don't give you a hard time. So I've like walked with them when they've gone to tell teachers, like here's the name that I want and here are, here's like the pronouns I want to use. Uh, and I would say like, by and large, like the teaching community that I work with have been like awesome about like supporting yeah. the trans kids as well. Um, they've been like really, really accepting and they've made it really easy for the kids. So, and, and to be honest, like a, a child that says today, like, well, 
you know, today I'm, I'm transgender. They may not be five years from now. They may be more on the spectrum, but wherever they are that day is like where I feel it's our responsibility to meet them. You know, Absolutely. I know people say, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I hear people say like, well, you know, they're a boy one day, they're a girl another day. Why can't they pick? And it's like, well, how does it bother you? You know, right. like why, yeah. why, yeah. what business is it of yours? You yeah. know, it's, it's yeah. not. So you see with Glenn Glenda finally, and it's done a little bit of a binary, but I think that would have been common for its time where like with Glenn, you have like the sweeter, he doesn't want to be a killer. He just wants to be accepted. And, you know, and then you see with Glenda and Glenda to me looked a lot like, um, Oh God, she it looked a lot like Betty Davis to me for whatever reason. Oh, I got yeah, real Betty definitely. Davis vibes. It's very, very uh, uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah, yeah. you know that's mm-hmm. where you get like this is the killer that comes out, the seductress, the killer, yeah. and I love that. Um, but yeah, I always thought like, that was another Psycho reference too. Oh sure, and you know. Psycho's interesting because. My read on Norman's psychosis is different than this, though. Yeah, he wants to be his mother. He doesn't want to be a woman. He wants to be a specific woman. He wants to be his mother. So, and I know that at the time, Psycho was made, like the speech at the end of the movie, like Hitchcock felt like that saved his movie. Like you know, that was not necessarily about like gender dysmorphia or body dysmorphia, right? But a more of like dissociative identity disorder, like feeling right. like I am no longer in my body. I am this actually this other person and embracing it. So it'll be we'll get more into that when we eventually um, cover Psycho. Yeah. Um, but with gender dysmorphia, it's it's marked more by these feelings of insurity of like not. Of feeling like the gender or the sex that you were born at birth is not the gender or sex that you the gender that you feel you actually are, or mm-hmm. uh, it exists on a spectrum. You feel like you embrace both masculine and feminine traits, and you're not right. being accepted for that. And you have to either hide it in some way, whether it be how you dress, how you present yourself. Uh, the name that you use and that causes a lot that that dis, that dysmorphia causes like a lot of pain anguish and anxiety mm-hmm. um and when i say i'm not an expert on it like one idea that i'm tossing in my head and i think more research that needs to be done in it is is it is it an actual disorder or is it a disorder that we've imposed on people because we refuse to accept them and meet them for who they are? And when you think about homosexuality and being gay, being homosexual was considered a mental disorder right. all the way up through the DSM-3, which is what we use to diagnose persons. Like, right. being gay is not a disorder. Right. And are we causing gender dysmorphia because we are imposing what we feel a person should be and what our expectations are supposed to be. Is that why there is a disorder? If we embraced a person for who they are, if we allowed them all the tools that should be available to them and children know as young as age six or seven, um, they have a good idea of what gender uh, they feel they should be. And I know a lot of people will say that's too young. It's like that's when they, even if they don't know 100% for sure, they have a pretty good idea. Just like if a six-year-old went up to you and said, like if your daughter came up to you and said, I'm going to marry this boy one day, nobody would think that would be strange, right? Right. 
but if they said, well, I'm going to marry this girl one day, it's like, oh, you're too young. You can't know that. It's like, why? <laughs> why can't they? Yeah. Why is that mm-hmm. strange? Like, why are we making this heteronormative assumption on persons? Like, we need to really... And again, I have like no voice and I have brain fog. So I'm going to apologize if this is a jumbled mess. And there are persons that can speak of this much more eloquently than I can because I am oh, definitely that's the way I feel. Fever. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm feeling the same way. I just uh, like I said at the beginning of this, you know, mm-hmm. I I probably wasn't going to volunteer to uh, discuss mm-hmm. this movie because I just don't feel that qualified to discuss right. it. Um, but it was sort of like. Um, I don't want to leave you out yeah, there. So, show to put out. so, Sometimes so I, so I'm, so I'm, so I'm materialize. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, if I've said anything, that's not quite there, um, trying, you know, doing, doing the best that I have with, with the knowledge, limited knowledge that I have, right. you know, so yeah. Yeah. But the long and short is like I do sometimes wonder with gender dysmorphia is this sure. that we were imposing it on persons mm-hmm. because we're not accepting them. And if we did, if that would be less of a disorder. So that's my thought there. But you also see with Chucky, you see body dysmorphia. And what mm-hmm. I love about the end of this movie, like Chucky is finally like, I don't want to be a human anymore. He's like, fuck it. You, you know, and body dysmorphia is different. Yeah. It's often tied into eating disorders. It's when you perseverate on a part or multiple parts of your body it could be mm-hmm. like the way your belly looks after giving birth it could be the way your your nose is too big it could be scars and you like kind of like pick at those features and you wish they weren't there anymore and chucky basically has whole body dysmorphia because he's a fucking plastic doll <laughs> that wants to be in a human body yeah but by the end of this movie he's like i love this body i get to live forever and I'm world, I'm known all over the world as this great slasher. Why would I want to be human? And yeah. that's when Tiffany rejects him. Mm. Oh man! And and the thing is, now that you say, that, I mean, body <laughs> body dysmorphia is definitely something I can speak to. I mean, yeah, I um a couple of years ago. I mean. And you know this. I mean, I, I lost a great deal of weight in a pretty short amount of time, and and I started to just be like looking at myself in the mirror and just not recognizing myself. Yeah. Um. And and it was odd. I mean, it was sort of this this cross between being proud of accomplishment in some ways, but then like, but am I still me? <laughs> you know, yeah. all sorts of weird things go through your head. And then, you know, when COVID hit and the gyms closed down and all these things, and I gained some of that back, it was, a, it was a, a, just another version of that, you know? So there's yeah. all, there's just lots of, so I can, I can relate to that. I mean, for me, it was, I would always think of not this movie. I would think of the fly. When oh, yeah. Seth Brundle's always looking in the mirror and he's poking at himself in different yeah. ways as his body's changing. Um, so it's the, the body dysmorphia thing is, is an interesting uh, element in this movie that um, goes pretty deep in, through it by the end, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I would agree, you know, and I am also someone that has struggled with body dysmorphia. Like I'm a larger person. I don't mm-hmm. always feel 
as large as I do. I think I've said up until a couple of years ago, I never felt my weight. Right. Um, like I've always been really active and athletic. And as I've gotten older, it's harder and harder to do things. And after sure. suffering like a pretty horrific knee tear, it's even harder, you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, oh. So there are times where I don't like to look in a mirror or I don't like having my picture taken. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's something I'm like slowly learning to kind of embrace about myself is like the way I look, like the good and the bad. And like the changes I'm trying to make are more based around like being healthier versus right. like having to live a certain way. Yeah. And that's sort of where I'm landing myself now. Cause I mean, I was obsessed with being lean, uh, you know, but I'm, just more like i'm just wanting to be healthy i'm wanting to be in a place where i feel good so so it's in the end of this movie you have like a chucky that is finally after five movies no longer obsessed with becoming a human right he has learned to love the body that Mm -hmm. he is in and i think that's really wonderful and then he gets like (laughs) murdered by (laughs) Tiffany dismembered Uh, (laughs) and then you see like Glenn Glenda finally in in his Glenn form finally pleases his dad or finally lives up to his dad's expectations by taking an axe to him and absolutely dismembering him in this really brutal fashion yeah, uh, which is great as well. Then you um, know the, the shining reference there. I can't yeah, yeah. think of a thing to say. Yeah, love that's another <laughs> that's another great one. Yeah, and again, just playing a little bit against expectation. Uh-huh. Um, I want to talk really finally briefly about Jennifer Tilly. Absolutely. In this, I just want to talk a little bit about her because she pulls triple duty in this movie. Mm-hmm. She plays herself, which is not an easy thing. You're playing a caricature of yourself. Yep. Um, Because, yeah, it's an obvious, it's definitely a caricature. I mean, she's not playing herself. She's playing a character named Jennifer Tilly. Yes. (laughs) That Don Mancini, the writer, knows and likes, you know, obviously. Yeah. And I love that she keeps coming back. Like she comes back for the sequels. She's a big Mm -hmm. part of the show and she doesn't do a lot of acting anymore. I mean, she plays a lot of poker and seems to live like a very happy life and I want nothing but amazing things for her. Absolutely. And I will tell her the same thing I told Amber Benson when I took her to dinner, when my wife was there, I'm like, my wife died in a tragic fire (laughs) and I had to rescue a bunch of puppies and I'm, alone and please love me um and my wife was like i'm right here dude and i'm like oh hey it's you um i i love her so much i love jennifer tilly so much but she's playing tiffany again and she's like really like settled into the role here and tiffany is great Mm -hmm. but she also plays tiffany playing jennifer tilly at the end of this movie so you have like the right. end of this movie where you have like, by the way, those two redheaded like props to whoever did the makeup on those two kids because uh-huh. they kind of made them look a little bit like Pinocchio dolls. Um, yeah. And then the hair on that shock of red hair on both of them, like yeah. they were like very odd looking children or made up to be very odd looking children. Yeah, um, And yeah. you get the, I, okay, you get it there. It's like, Glenn Glenda, like they're not one person, they're dual people, which I don't know if I really 
embrace that, but hey, it was 2004. Right. What are you going to do? So right. both of their personalities, one could go in each of the twin babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have like Jennifer Tilly um, playing like Tiffany in her body and then being like murderous. And I love that as well. <laughs> She's so good. Um and this movie does speak a bit to like the casting culture. And again, thinking about yeah. Wes Craven and mm-hmm. Scream 3 in 2000 and how that whole movie is a big fuck you to Harvey Weinstein right yep. under his nose. Mm-hmm. And you see that here. You have this like very talented actor who can no longer get roles outside of like B horror movies. She can't land prestige roles because she's seen as you know, a very curvaceous body and a very, um, very odd voice and people and casting folks don't see past that. And at one point she even says like, I'm an Oscar nominated performer. Like, why is no one calling me? Um, and I love her calling out Julia, Julia Roberts as well as someone who would say, it's pretty funny. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty funny stuff. So (laughs) what do you think of the scenes where her and Redmond are, going to comp con, uh, you know consummate their relationship but aside <laughs> oh my gosh it's just uh you know the, the yeah the casting culture stuff is just i mean it's stuff that is was sort of a it was an open secret i mean come on ever people knew this kind of thing was happening since the 20s and 30s you know so um so it, you know, it, it works. It's that the sort of the satirical tone that it takes, I like mm-hmm. a lot, you know, yeah. we've got the, the meta thing going on, but in a way that has some teeth to it yeah. is, is nice to see, you know, um, s- satire more than meta, you know, even. I like that it gives her agency. I like that, like, yeah. she's the one that decides, I'm going to do this. Like, she tells him, like, you're going to be at my house at 8 p.m. tonight, mm-hmm. motherfucker. Like, and I am going to get this role. Like, she's the one that decides that she's going to do it. And then she also decides, like, you know, nah, I don't need to do this. Like, she pulls back. So, yeah, I do really like that about it as well. Um, and again, I think she's just wonderful in this role. I think Tiffany is great here. You see, Tiffany's parenting style as trying to be accepted, except like really wanting Glenn Glenda to be more of a Glenda, like really pulling for a daughter, but also um, wanting to like, okay, I'm trying to accept you for who you are. If this is who you're telling me who you are, I will do my best to accept you, even if I don't fully get it. And I do like that about the character of Tiffany. Brian, you have multiple children, correct? Yes, I have three. Mm-hmm. Three, all mm-hmm. uh, boys and girls, or yeah, I have two boys and one girl. Okay, yeah. So, you know, personal question, and you can say "fuck off." I'm not answering. But when <laughs> okay. you were having your first child, sure, did you have like a, a a preference of like what you know what you wanted, like a boy or a girl? Initially, yeah, I actually was hoping for a girl. I got in yeah. Um mm-hmm. But and what was it about wanting a girl? I don't know. I think something about being a dad, I think you, you, I never had sisters or anything. Uh Just kind of that. Oh, daddy's little girl. You know, some of that sort of cliche, I suppose came into it. Um, But 
Yeah, I was. Uh, but hey, I got. I, I'll I'll admit this fully. I've admitted this to everyone. You know, <laughs> uh, my my son, my oldest son, was was a easy baby. He was yeah. really really easy to deal with. My daughter I came you were going to admit. I don't like the girl. I'm like, oh, Brian, oh here, no. I, haven't, I haven't finished yet. Um, but oh, when boy. my daughter came along, um, I was so excited to have a to that we were having a girl. And mm-hmm. but boy, she was a difficult. She was a difficult baby. She was a mm-hmm. really, really difficult baby. And then when we found out we were pregnant with our third, and it was a boy, we we're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Um, because you know they're just different. But I mean, obviously, they're just different challenges. Whatever. <laughs> you know. Do you do the, the thing? Child, Did you do the thing when, like, your baby, with your first child, you're like overprotective, and like every every outlet is covered, and like there's like rubber edges on all the tables, and like you rip up all the hardwood floor, and it's like made of sponge, and <laughs> You put the baby in like, you know, this like bubble, like a bubble baby. And like by like the next kid, you're like, just don't lick the outlet and you'll be all right. Well, I, I think I think because our daughter was just a little bit more um, she's pretty anxious baby. You know, she mm-hmm. would be fussy a lot. Um, so she got a lot of that protection, too. But hey, when my youngest came along, it was like, OK, here's some yeah. knives. Why don't you play with them? Yeah, there you go. You know. Juggle. <laughs> yeah. So we only we only have the one. And, right. you know, I didn't know if I will, you know, would I prefer a boy or a girl. And I remember it was like a, it was Thanksgiving. So it was like a month after we knew we were having a kid and it was Thanksgiving or my cousins. And I look out the window and all of the boys are just like going through the trash outside and like throwing rocks at one another and eating dirt. And then there was like the young girl, the girl was like four or five, like one of my nieces or nephews or whatever, second cousins or whatever. And she was just playing and being nice and like above it all. I'm like, you know, they kind of like a girl. Yeah. You know, and not that girls don't play in garbage. I'm right. sure they do. You know, and like if you are a girl that wants to play in garbage, go for it. Like, go for by it. All exactly. Means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just remember at that moment, um, you know, and have never looked back. Now my daughter is almost 12 and thinks that we're social lepers and wants nothing to do with this. But, you know, <laughs> my daughter just turned 14. So, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, tell me it gets better. So, uh, <laughs> Um, I, I cannot tell a lie. So, uh, yeah. oh, great. Uh, yeah. it's yeah. Yeah. I've had to, she'll do things where it's like, she'll be super mean to us and then ask for something. Yeah. She'll like be really rude and then be like, Oh, can I have money to go to the movies? And I'm like, if you want money to go to the movies, you gotta like treat us nice first. Like can't yeah. like, be a total jerk and then <laughs> ask for shit. Like learn to play the game, a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, teenage years, you know, you just got all sorts of things happening. And uh, a lot of times those attitudes and tempers get harder to control. So I I think we've hit that point. I think the NyQuil is kicking in. Yeah, And you can hear my voice is going. So listeners, I I, I promise you I did not smoke like three packs of Luckies right right before. This show, I am just feeling under the weather. So, Brian, can you tell us uh, where they can find you on the socials and what is coming up with your show, Movies for Life? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, you can find me at Brian D. Kuiper on Twitter. Uh, and the show that I co host with Michelle Egan uh, is at Movie Life Pod. So, Movies for Life. We just released our epic 
episode on Mike Flanagan's uh, Midnight Mass. Um, it was a really good conversation, I thought. Uh, one of our probably one of our best episodes yet. Um, we're following Four that up. hours. <laughs> Technically, it's three hours and 40 minutes. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I know it's a long one, you know, but, you know, listen to it in in parts if you have to. Um, I think it's I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Um, anyway, and then uh, we've got another episode coming out on Dr. Sleep uh, pretty soon here. So Excellent. that's what's coming so up. So you are flanistans is what you're saying. Well, at the moment we're covering, um, we're going to cover also going to cover, uh, we haven't announced this yet, but that's okay. Uh, we're also going to cover Gerald's game and then Mm -hmm. it's just going to be those three, uh, no absentia. Um, we're, we'll see what we come back to. Mm -hmm. I mean, we might hit some of the others another time, but we just wanted to do those three for now. And, um, and we will see where we go. Yeah. Excellent. And what do you have coming up? Um, what What do you have coming up for your writing too? I know, like you always yeah. tease, like big things coming. So, <laughs> well, well, I've got a piece coming out of also on Midnight Mass uh, to Manor Vellum um, that was uh, very. It's pretty personal, pretty raw stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully, people. I I really hope people read that one though because it's I think something good. I've got. Um, some stuff coming to uh, Bloody Disgusting on uh, Evil Dead 2, on uh, Freaks uh, from 1932, um, and some other things sort of floating out there um, that I'm working on. Um, I also have been, speaking of the Wes Craven thing, I, I have a couple of uh, chapters I'm working on uh, for a couple academic publications. So um, nice. keeping my fingers crossed that those turn out well enough to end up in the books. Um, so those are, and those are probably a long way down the road. Mm-hmm. And so everyone will probably forget about them by the time they actually come out uh, from this, by the time, from this point at least. So um, anyway, yeah. So always working on lots of stuff. Um, Excellent. And, yeah. Always have stuff at Manor Vellum and Bloody Disgusting are uh, where most of my stuff is right now. Well, thanks for hopping back on. And listeners, as you know, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can hear my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, everywhere you get your podcast. Um, as this is up, we're still in the month of March. So we are tackling workplace anxiety this month is our mental health topic we have an episode up on session nine and then shortly after this comes out we'll have an episode up on joe lynch's mayhem Mm. we also have comfort horror episodes this month up on fear street 1666 and uh coming soon the exorcist um and you can get that show wherever you get your podcasts you can follow our show over at pod and pendulum over on twitter we have a website, podonthependulum.com, which is a great place for you to go back and comb through our archives. Um, also, make sure if you enjoy the show, do us a favor and go ahead and leave us a five-star review over on Spotify or leave us a five-star review 
uh, a rating as well as a review over on Apple Podcasts. It really does help listeners find our show. It increases our numbers. Uh, We've gotten a few really nice reviews lately that I'm very appreciative of. Um, And we will be back in a short time. So you'll take that again. So we will be back in just about another week or two where we are going to be tackling the last two in the original Child's Play franchise with Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. And both of those are going to be first time watches for me. And then for the finale where we do the Child's Play remake, that's going to be a crossover episode where we're going to be joined by the folks at the Distant Franchise Pod, and we are going to both be posting uh, the show in both of our feeds. So I'm friendly with uh, Brett and Steven, Steven, who you hear quite a bit now over on our show. So I'm really interested to see how that turns out. As soon as we wrap up Child's Play, we are going to tackle 2022's Scream, which we didn't do when it was in theaters because we wanted to give everybody a chance to see it. And then we take a road trip down to Texas this summer for the deep dive into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed the show. We hope you could put up with my voice and we'll be back in just a little while. Take care, everybody.